First of all, uh, we're going to cover, talk about the story of on Pentecost. We're not going to use the whole thing in our sermon. So we're going to read the text first of the, the Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The car radio. Automated aircraft landing system. The business jet. Eight-track tape. The Delta steam engine. What do all these have to do with each other? These were all the product of one man, Bill Lear. Bill Lear was an amazing, inventive man. Uh, <clears throat> back starting in the 30s, going into the 70s. In the 1920s, there were efforts to put a radio in a car. That's when radios were first starting to get popular in the first place. But part of it was in the passenger seat. Batteries were under the seat. The speakers were behind the back seat. It was a cumbersome thing and very, very expensive. Uh, radios in those days took three different batteries, one for the cathode of the tubes and one for the anode of the tubes and one for the signal. And you know, some of these were big batteries. 
big speakers, big tuner, but Bill Lear was able to figure out, he and a friend actually, how to miniaturize this enough to put it in the dashboard of a car. And it became a successful thing. Aviation was kind of young then, and it would, you know, one of the hardest parts of landing is, uh, one of the hardest parts of flying is landing. And he developed an automated landing system, as well as some rangefinders and other electronic devices for flying. And uh, well, connected with flying, there was a the demand for, you know, getting executives particularly around quickly. So he came up with the idea of developing a small jet that could quickly escort rich executives around the country. The Lear jet became something of legend in certain circles anyway. Then there was a need for put music in these Lear jets, and so he developed the 8-track uh, tape system, which maybe some of you have never even heard of. I don't know. <laughs> I know some of you have, maybe you even had them. And then there was the growing problem of pollution, especially in California, the demand to come up with some lower polluting cars, and so he poured his money and his effort into a closed system steam engine, a delta system with six, 12 pistons around three crankshafts. It was quite a contraption that was gonna solve this problem, but of course it never worked. Uh, he was great, but he was not almighty. These were all human endeavors. Things that solved human problems for a time. But, you know, the Learjet is no longer produced. The 8-track tape is a item in a museum now. And the Delta steam engine never did run that anybody knows of. Uh, it kind of disappeared into uh, history. There supposedly there was one put in a Monte Carlo, a Chevrolet Monte Carlo, and we don't know if it even ever ran. Uh, <clears throat> so those are things that are you know, assigned to history. But when you compare that to the work of the Holy Spirit in creating, you might say, the Christian church. There's no comparison, is there? I mean, this solves the real problem that everyone has of all time of being saved from sin and death for all eternity. Uh, and so the Christian, we normally think of the Christian church as being born on Pentecost Day. In fact, it is a continuation of the believers of all time, starting with Adam and Eve, who believed that first promise that, that God gave uh, to sinners on this earth. Holy Spirit was there too, doing all of that. So we're thinking of growing the church now. It starts with, actually it doesn't just start with, but we're just going to say it starts with the Holy Spirit. It all has to do with the Holy Spirit. Uh, now since Pentecost, his work, the Holy Spirit's work, of growing the church has reached the far corners of the earth. Um, and will continue until the Lord comes back to this earth. We can learn about the work of that church that we have now, that we're in right now, from that 
first day and see, see how some of the ways the Holy Spirit actually works in his church. We reread the first two verses we read earlier. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Normally the work of the Holy Spirit is quite quiet, under the radar. Some have called him the, the, you know, the, the shy uh, person of the Holy Trinity. Not that he's shy, it's just that his work is not front and center most of the time. It takes place in the heart, in our hearts. But on this day, much more uh, flamboyant, you might say. Uh, <clears throat> This was a special occasion. There was, a, was a, this sound. Sound like a mighty wind blowing. But we're not told that anybody felt a wind. Uh, then there were these tongues like fire that split up and came to sit on each, the top the heads of each one of them, but didn't burn up their hair like you would expect it would do. And it was about that time then they opened their mouths and were speaking languages they had never learned. This was something special and much more visible than the work of the Holy Spirit normally is. Now, these signs do seem appropriate for the Holy Spirit. The word that's translated spirit, both in the Hebrew of the Old Testament and in the Greek of the New Testament, can also mean breath or breeze, or wind. Probably, you know, that the Holy Spirit is more felt than seen. And the use of fire is often used in connection with the Holy Spirit. Uh, on that first day after Jesus rose from the dead and two disciples were walking along and Jesus joined them, but they didn't know who he was. Afterwards, they exclaimed, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? That was the Holy Spirit working in their hearts through the words that, that Jesus spoke. Um, <clears throat> Once these disciples now, I mean, the Holy Spirit used these outward signs to kind of show that he was there that he was filling them. It says they, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't quite know what that feels like beyond the fact, you know, we have the Holy Spirit. But then they could open their mouths and out came words that they had never heard before, they had never learned. It's quite amazing. Language, when you think about it, language is an amazing thing. We use it every day almost without thinking. Sometimes, when we are sleeping, you, know, you talk in your sleep. Do your spouse ever tell you you talk in your sleep? Sometimes that happens. We use language even to speak with uh, devices. Alexa, set a timer for 10 minutes. I hope there's not an Alexa around here. <laughs> but it's, it's a really an amazing thing. To visualize how amazing it is, think of being on a street corner where in a place where you don't know the language, 
and this stuff is coming at you. You know, Marikita Perkiko Rumamakan, the the Makan Sachuacha Yang Yang Enak. Oh, Baguskali, say Ikut Kapandot Pergi. How does that sound to you? That was Indonesian. I'm guessing there's nobody speaks Indonesian here. There aren't that many people except in Indonesia. But that stream of words coming out of somebody's mouth that, you know, you're doing it in English, but or maybe, maybe you can do it in Spanish too or some other languages. But isn't it amazing that stream of words, you're able to form that with lips and tongue and breath and vocal cords, and then somebody else on the other end is actually able to receive that, process that, and respond to it almost instantaneously. Whereas to you, the, the foreigner there, what is it? It just sounds like gobbledygook, and you can't reproduce any of it. Um, that's just how amazing it is. One of the things, by the way, standing on a corner like that, uh, it can be scary. You don't know what's going on. Uh, I was in Bangkok, and we were researching a mission, uh, whether to do a mission in, in there, and I was sent to this bookstore, and I realized when I got out, I hadn't taken the card from the hotel. And how am I going to get back to the hotel? I couldn't find anybody that spoke enough English to tell the taxi driver or the tut-tut driver how to get back to the hotel. I had to go down the street several places. That's a little scary. Uh, and it just feels a little strange. But uh, <coughs> this is still, uh, <coughs> well, this all came about because of, we just heard about it, Tower Babel because of people who refused to do what God told them to do, which was what would be the good thing for them to do, trying to make a name for themselves, so he confused their languages. He didn't just invent new words for different things. It was a whole pro thought process, different thought processes. Uh, our English language, which is an Indo-European language, comes from a set of languages that has tense. We have future tense and past tense and, and uh, present tense. Now, not all languages have that. The Semitic languages, like Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, Arabic do not have tense in that sense. They have aspect. Something's completed or not completed. It's a whole different way of thinking of things. Or... In our language, we use different sounds to express words. The Chinese use add tones to that. So, blah, blah, blah are three different words because of the different tones involved. God did all that at Babel when he set, set these languages up. Uh, <clears throat> so, when he did this at Babel, it was total chaos. And a lot of distrust. Because when you don't understand what somebody's saying, oftentimes that's what happens. And the people scattered. And they went to the far parts of the earth. I think it's kind of interesting that uh, in northern Greece, there's a lake, uh, Castoria. There's a city there now, but during a, a recent 
drought, there were some sticks coming out of the water, and they researched it and found out there was a village built there about, what, four, 5,000 years ago, they cal calculate, uh, which is about the time of Babel, that they reached that far from Mesopotamia and established a new community there. And this happened all over the world. Um, and, that, and then those languages splintered. The original Indo-European language has splintered into, you know, Greek, Latin, uh, Spanish, English, Russian, Bulgarian, uh, all kinds of languages. And that splintering continues to this day. But still, language is the way that God has determined to spread his message of salvation and peace and forgiveness to the people of this earth. Uh, <clears throat> the message is communicated in, in words, intelligible, things that can be comprehended by the brain. It's not a magic formula. It's not something that comes in by osmosis. It comes in through hearing and understanding words. Uh, <clears throat> and so, and then once that gets into a person, they understand it, then it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later. But it first comes in through, through language. But it is difficult to communicate with someone whose language you don't know. Uh, <clears throat> and so on this day, the Holy Spirit bridged that gap in a miraculous way by giving people the ability to speak languages they had never heard. And so... People heard about God's wonderful acts, it says, from these apostles that had never studied these languages, declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. They were amazed, and many were grateful for this. You ever think about, did these apostles retain that ability to speak other languages? We're not told they did. Kind of interesting to think about, though, because we know these apostles went to Many parts of the world. Uh, the furthest we know of, where we fairly sure happened, Thomas got as far as India. Others got to uh, where what is now Iran, northern Africa, areas in Europe, all over the place. And they probably had to use some new languages. Hey, they studied new languages. Maybe they had to learn them when they got there so they could communicate God's word to these people. So the, the truth we see here is that the Holy Spirit works through language to communicate the good news. He works through language. Um, and if these apostles actually learn new languages, that really is the way that things work today. Missionaries go to new parts of the world and learn the language this is how you can break down barriers between people, is learn their language. Um, it's amazing how you can break down barriers that way. Uh, I have to admit, when I went to Indonesia, I was just three years out of the seminary. I had learned, I had studied. I won't say I had learned. I had studied Latin. I had studied German. I had studied Greek. I had studied Hebrew. Even a smattering of French in some night classes, and I couldn't speak any one of them. It was a little scary. Going to a country where, you know, they didn't speak English, or at least not much of it. But the Lord gave me the ability to, to learn their language 
and it broke down barriers and we were close and I could communicate the gospel through a new language, the Indonesian language, the one I used just a little bit ago. Uh, it's been 30 years. I still know some of it. <laughs> and another way languages, uh, the barriers are broken down is the work of translation. You know, our church belongs to the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. And our synod has a multi-language publications program, uh, which has publications in 56 languages right now. Uh, it's an amazing work. Uh, I can even tell a little story about my wife Barbara was working at a pregnancy, uh, volunteering at a pregnancy, what is it called now? Not pregnancy counseling, but pregnancy, uh, <coughs> it's the same one that's used by the Onslow one here too, uh, resource center. <laughs> In came a bunch of people from Burma or Myanmar, whichever you want to call it, I guess. They didn't speak English. So eventually they were finding out, oh, there is a booklet called The Promise, translated into Burmese. And then they, the next time they came in, they were able to give them that, and the smiles came across their face, that they saw their own language in front of them. So that's, you know, that's languages are so important, and working in languages is so important. Then we go on to see how this worked. Uh, we read a couple more verses from our text. And then Peter stood up with the leaven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is far different than the Peter we have seen before this time. Uh, you know, it wasn't all that long ago. Peter was trying to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem and being crucified to fulfill his work because he didn't understand it yet. Uh, he was with the others behind locked doors out of fear even after Jesus was raised from the dead. He was with them when they asked just before Jesus ascended to heaven, is it at this time you're going to establish your kingdom on this earth? And now he gets up with this complete understanding. Uh, it was this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that where the Holy Spirit worked in his heart and put all this stuff together into a cohesive gospel about Jesus Christ, about his death, about his resurrection, about sin, about grace. The Holy Spirit put that all together. Uh, <clears throat> and so he was able to stand up in front of this crowd and, and tell them about it. Perhaps he was speaking Aramaic, which is a common language in, in Judea at the time. Maybe at the same time other disciples were over in different places using, making the same message in different languages. I don't know how it worked. Um, but it was quite amazing what he was able to do. But it worked. Peter began clarifying for the people what was happening, starting off telling them what's happening right now is a fulfillment of a specific prophecy by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on his people and they would prophesy. In the last days, he said, well, the last days are the days starting with Pentecost until the end of the world. 
when the gospel will be preached freely, when, as it says in Revelation, the Holy Spirit, the, the devil, the devil would be bound for a time. Uh, and you know, God would pour out his spirit to prophesy. Prophesy, its basic meaning is to speak God's word. Speak what God wants you to say. The rest of uh, Peter's sermon is not part of our text today, but he went on then, after explaining what is happening, to explain what was happening with this Jesus Christ that they had uh, gathered together to crucify and how that was all part of God's plan that, that uh, then he raised him from the dead and, and then they repented of that and they were sorry for that. And he says, oh, there's forgiveness. Come, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. This is God's plan. He wants you. The kindness and words that were understood and even emotional plea. It was a powerful and effective message which Peter preached because the Holy Spirit had given him the, the words to say, the understanding of what he was to say uh, that Peter had, you know, up to this time he had some understanding but not a full understanding of what was going on. And the Holy Spirit was working while Peter was preaching the Holy Spirit works through people understanding and speaking the gospel. The Holy Spirit works through people understanding and speaking the gospel. And finally, at the end of this text, he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We don't actually, as I said, to get to the end of this story in, in our text for today, but we get, we're already told what's going to happen what the Holy Spirit is doing in the hearts of those who are hearing this message. He changes their hearts. People's hearts are by nature at enmity with God, against him, don't want to hear anything he has to say. As Paul would later write, no, uh, <clears throat> so it has to be the Holy Spirit working, because no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. These people, when they claimed Jesus is my Lord, that was the Holy Spirit working in them. There were 3,000 people that day who came forward and said, I'm sorry for my part in crucifying Jesus and all my other sins. I want to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit was working in their hearts. That's the third truth. The Holy Spirit changes the hearts of those who hear the gospel uh, <coughs> spoken to them. So what now? What does this mean for us? First, listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit does not speak. We can't just put up our, you know, cup our ears and say, oh, the Holy Spirit must be speaking over there. No, he doesn't speak that way. Uh, even those first apostles, when the Holy Spirit came into their hearts on that Pentecost day, he did not speak to them new words. No, he took the words they had already been hearing from Jesus for the last three years. The words of Holy Scriptures, which they had studied probably from when they were young, helped them put them together, understand, believe, and comprehend them. Uh, they were all believers to start with, but now they had a full understanding of what the Holy Spirit, uh, what God was doing because the Holy Spirit explained it to them. Um, and the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. He has been poured out on each one of us. That's what moved you to, to come here. That's what 
moved you to believe in him. Uh, and he wants to continue that work in your hearts. And he wants to continue that through the word, which he inspired to be written. The holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. Those are the Holy Spirit's words written in our Bible. It's important for our faith. It's all designed by God to either uh, convict us of sin, uh, arousing us a, a need for, for forgiveness, and then to comfort and uplift us and to give us peace. That's all in there. And the Holy Spirit wants to work through that word to give you assurance, to give you hope, to, to give you uh, a sense that God is your Father, that you are part of His family. Listen to the Spirit speaking uh, by hearing and meditating and studying his word. And then speak for the Holy Spirit. That's what the apostles were doing. Not too much later, they would be arrested and commanded not to speak about Jesus. And Peter and John then spoke up. They said, as for us, <clears throat> as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Like them, we have heard this message of Jesus Christ, his forgiveness, his peace, his, uh, his love. That's such good news. Can we help but speaking about this good news? How can we not speak about it? Especially when it's in, that's what Jesus wants us to do, to, to speak about it. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak directly to the world. He speaks through the people in which he lives. And he lives in you. And he wants to speak through you. When we have the opportunity, when you see the opportunity, speak for the Holy Spirit. Tell people what he has done. When you don't have the opportunity, look for an opportunity. Create an opportunity. Steer the conversation. Talk to people to get an opportunity for doing this. Finally, watch for results of the Holy Spirit's work. We most likely won't have 3,000 people who repent and want to be baptized on the day we speak about Jesus. It did happen once. We may even have the result that people will reject us and mistreat us, as these same apostles would have many times as they would go about their ministry of, of spreading that word. But that word is powerful. And the Holy Spirit who works through that word is powerful. There will be people who believe it. Look for that. Watch for people who might come to believe. Be ready to help them, to direct them, to give answers, to direct them to church or wherever they can to, to be strengthened in that faith that's created as we speak the word to them. Thus, church can grow when we speak God's word to other people. Much of the work of growing the church is the work of the Holy Spirit. He works to change hearts that are at enmity with God, which is all people by nature, into people who now believe in God. Uh, he works to give clarity and understanding to the words that, that they hear uh, so that faith can be strengthened. The whole <coughs> so thank the Holy Spirit that he has worked in your heart, changed your heart to, to believe in the Lord. And then pray that the Holy Spirit can use you to speak for him in this world.
Amen.